Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. I'm really excited because tonight our guest is actually a friend of another guest who you just heard. Uh, Amy Earls was our guest on the last episode, and she introduced me via email to Shadia. And so now you get to hear Shadia's story. So this is so fun. I love when we get connections from one woman to another. So Shadia, I'm hoping you can introduce yourself to the listeners and just tell them a little bit of who you are and what your life is like today before we rewind the tape and tell your whole life story. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. And thank you, Amy, for introducing us. This is so fun. Today, I love teaching and reading the Bible, studying the Bible, uh, something I just never imagined that would happen even just 10 years ago. Uh, A little bit about my background. I actually was born in Manhattan, New York. Both of my parents immigrated to the United States, one from Morocco, Uh, That was my dad and my mom from Latvia. And uh, sometimes I just think like, you know, only in New York City could two people from two different hemispheres actually find each other. (laughs) So that's where I'm originally from. During my childhood, we moved around a lot. We lived in Las Vegas and Morocco and different places. But right now I am settled in sunny San Jose, California. I really love weather here. And I just actually moved into a new rental cottage, actually only just a few weeks ago. And it was a actually a, a, quite an answer to a very desperate prayer. <laughs> it was kind of one of those one of those moments in life when you're like, okay, Lord, I really need you to show up. And um, we're you know the clock is ticking, <laughs> but He provided. So it's nice to be settled again. Well, we're so glad you're settled. And I want to touch on something you said that you couldn't have imagined your life where it is today. And I know so many women have identified with that. And and maybe if they re-met somebody who knew them 10, 20 years ago, that person would be shocked at what they're doing and where they are today. And that's definitely a little bit of your life. And I'm going to come right back to that. But I did want to, we we like to do this with some episodes. I did want to just give, this is a little bit of a, you know, spoiler alert, but I do think it's important to give a warning for potential emotional triggers for some of our listeners. So we don't want anyone to be caught off guard. Some of the, some of the things that are going to be talked about in this episode could be hard for some women, such as abuse, abortion. And we want to make sure you're you're prepared. So if you need to pause this episode and listen at a later time when it's when it's best for you, please do so. Or if you have ears in the room that maybe aren't quite mature enough for some of those topics, please take that into consideration. But regardless, we do hope you, when the time is right, whether it's now or later, that you do listen to this whole story because every story, no matter what suffering is included, is ultimately a story of hope. And that's why we share them. So with that, let me circle back to you teaching and learning and knowing the Bible. And yet that is not where your life started. So (laughs) let's let you pick it up and explain how in the world you ended up where you are today when at one point in your life, if I remember correctly, you didn't even believe there was a God. That's right. Yeah, I, you know, I wasn't raised to believe in God. Neither of my parents had had faith, you know, but I see God's hand in my life even before I was born because, you know, I, as when my parents met, they began dating. 
Well, mom got pregnant. <laughs> uh, they weren't married. And my grandmother is, you know, thinking that it was in the best interest of my mom, fearful for her, actually encouraged my mom to consider having an abortion. And my father, though he was raised uh, Muslim, wasn't, he also didn't really have faith. My mom was raised Lutheran, didn't really have faith. My father was raised Muslim, but he was, did, he thought that was wrong. And so he said, no, I don't want to do that. And so he said, let's get married. And so I find it interesting that even though neither of my parents were Christian, God used my father's convictions to save my life because otherwise I wouldn't be here. So I just see God's hand right from the beginning. And so anyway, I was, I was born in uh, Manhattan Hospital uh, in New York City. And a few years later, my brother came into the world. So it's just me and him. And uh, we lived in an apartment in Manhattan uh, for a couple of years until we ended up moving to Las Vegas. You know, interesting place to live. But when you're a child, it's not like they're bringing you to the casinos or anything. So, you know, there is this sort of rural area where, you know, suburban area actually where we grew up, but my parents were struggling in their marriage. And so they ended up moving again, and this time all the way across the ocean to Morocco. My father was actually born and raised in Morocco and he, you know, had said, you know, all his family was there. And so, you know, I think my mom was pretty adventurous to be able to even, you know, make such a move like that with two kids. And so we moved to Morocco, we lived there for about a year, but it didn't heal the problems that my parents had in their marriage. And so we ended up coming back to New York and my parents divorced. And by the, that, was, I was, that was about a year later. So I was about 13 at this point. Uh, that's a pretty rough age for your parents to divorce. That was a real, real turning point for me. I, I would think 13 is a real turning point for, for most people. And I, I don't want to skip over that. We're going to come right back to that. But almost just a real quick commercial break here because the bulk of the women tuning in live in America. And I don't know if you can, maybe in 30 seconds or a minute or so, just give us a little bit of life in Morocco compared to life here. Very similar, very different. I I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, great question. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, there's so many aspects to our stories. You just forget, you know, what parts, you know, like uh, you're having me reflect on. I think for me, being that I was a child, I was about 12 uh, or so, you know, we lived in Morocco for about a year. And so I had a different perspective. I think if I was my mom, I would have been like, you know, get me out of here. <laughs> but Morocco is a, a somewhat more moderate uh, Muslim country. So not as extreme uh, in their laws and so forth, you know, in, in view of women. Uh, it's still there. Don't get me wrong. Um, but but it's um, not necessarily as unsafe as some other countries. But nevertheless, it was very different for example, like if we had, if there was a wedding or a party or something like that, the women would be in one room and the men would be in another room. And so that was very different. Uh, it kind of depended on the generation, like my grandmother, who was alive at that time on my father's side, my father's mother, you know, they would wear like the headdress and the, you know, the veil kind of thing, but younger women didn't. So it was, it was sort of like, you know, a country that was in transition, it seems to me compared to uh, America. The food was great. <laughs> I still have some favorites. I mean, you know, Mediterranean food is still one of my favorites. But yeah, it still is. It's a Muslim country, but not as extreme as, as others uh, mm -hmm. in that regard. I didn't have a lot of exposure 
you know, to their religion or that kind of thing, because, you know, that wasn't something that was important to my father. It's it's really fascinating to go to a completely other country and then come back during such really pivotal transitional years. I mean, that that 12 to 13 year old. Meanwhile, your parents' marriage is coming to an end. That's that's all that's a lot for yeah. for any age really, but e- even more so for that time period of life. So thanks for elaborating a little bit on life in Morocco. It's yeah. so now kind of picking it back up. Your parents got divorced when you were 13? Yes. Yeah. So they we had come back to New York City. Um, my parents ended up um, divorcing. And so, you know, that was the first. Now, so that's the, the first time that, I, you know, my father wasn't in the home anymore. And I think the age for me was, well, like you said, that's a tough age to begin with. <laughs> but it looking back, I kind of like start putting the pieces together. And, you know, because by the time I was 14, I mean, barely a year later, I was like, really looking for attention from men, you know, in, in a bad way. And only I found out many years later from from one of my, a counselor at church who had kind of explained that, you know, it's it's just sort of that you're trying to replace that father figure. And the only way you know how as a young woman is trying to attract them in the wrong way because it because it works, <laughs> you know. And so you, you're getting that attention that you crave, but obviously for all the wrong reasons and in all the wrong ways. And there's actually, <laughs> now that I remember it, there's actually a chapter in one of my Bible studies, I think it's on Hagar, where... It's the name of the chapter is looking for love in all the wrong faces. <laughs> yeah. And, and that related to the women at the well, which was kind of a parallel story, but that's kind of what was happening. Um, and so there I was making all these wrong choices. And by the time I was 15, I found myself pregnant. As I shared earlier, neither, none of my family were, were Christians. My parents are divorced. So my mom you know, as a single mom, I mean, now she's panicked. And I mean, I'm only 15 years old. And so she did what she thought was best. And she took me to get an abortion. Looking back, a couple of things kind of stick out to me. First, I never told my father. And I still to this day wonder, and you know, he's no longer living, but I still to this day wonder like what might have happened if I had told him. But it was very difficult. And, and, I, and I think one of the real challenges was because I wasn't raised to believe in God, I had, a, I had a very difficult time wrestling with the guilt. Because if there's no God and there's no baby, like, you know, like they told me at the center, oh, it's just a clump of cells, that kind of thing. They were lying, of course, but I didn't know that. And so, so it was extremely conflicting to have this guilt and this shame and not, you know, this secret. And yet, well, wait a minute, if there's no God and it's no baby, you know, it, it just didn't match in my brain, you know. And so I think that confusion and guilt and shame just really, that's because it was very shortly after that, I don't know, maybe six months or so, where I began really making some different lifestyle choices. I mean, I began, you know, hanging out with the wrong crowd, drinking, partying. And, you know, within just a couple of years, I'm doing drugs and I'm I'm in nightclubs, suicidal thoughts. I mean, all of it. And, And it all began shortly after that abortion. You know, it took a long time for me to really make the connections that because there is a God and it was a child, 
those guilty thoughts were almost spiritual because logically speaking, they shouldn't have been there. If I didn't believe in God, if I didn't believe a baby, I shouldn't have had those thoughts and feelings, but I did. So anyway, so that was a very, very difficult time. You know, I found myself in the wrong places at the wrong times. I ended up one night I was slipped the date rape drug. I mean, it was just a whole season of just tragedy, honestly. There just wasn't really much light during that time. And again, even even that date rape, I was afraid to tell anyone what had happened. You know, I still have flashbacks. I can remember um, parts of it, but I didn't tell anyone. Again, just kind of more shame, just carrying on more. It's like more shame leads to more poor choices. More poor choices leads to more shame. It's just a tragic cycle. And, I, and so during that season, I, you know, being in the wrong places at the wrong time, I, read the, I met the wrong man. <laughs> so uh, what a shock. And, um, you know, he was just as equally dysfunctional as I was. You know, when you're in that lifestyle, you're going to attract another person in the same manner. I mean, it's a sad thing, but that's how it works, you know. And so for 15 years, we stayed together and it was you know, a roller coaster. I mean, there were good times. It wasn't all trauma and heartbreak every moment, but he was an alcoholic and he would have fits of rage. And I was a complete enabler, codependent. I mean, I was a poster child for codependency. I remember years later, I was given sort of a, like a little checklist. Like, you know, if you check these off, you're codependent. And there was like 15 items. And I was like, I think I got 13 out of them. And I was like, oh boy, <laughs> what an eye opener. But yeah, it was a it was a rough uh, season. But God is real, and God is watching, and God does not abandon us there. And so He ended up moving myself and my former husband. We're still married at this point uh, across the country. So back over to the West Coast again. We ended up in California through a series of events. A friend of ours that we had met invited us to go to a Bible study group, and I'm like what's a Bible study group, you know? And uh, my, my former husband, he, you know, he was raised Catholic. So he, he believed in God, but didn't have any personal faith, but you know, he liked the friends and I don't know, I don't know. I, I, you know, I like to think that God had been working on him as well. And so he said, let's go. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Like, I don't know what this is, you know, but we went. And so here we are in this Bible study and when I met this group of believers in this Bible study, I was very intrigued (laughs) because it was the first time I had ever met anyone where I could clearly recognize there was something different. I could see it. I could hear it. The way they talked about their God, the way they talked about their faith. I could tell that it was not something that they just inherited from their parents and kind of just had to adopt, you know, it was personal. And I found that very intriguing and very confusing. I mean, I had never opened a Bible in my life. I didn't know a single Bible verse. That's why, like you said from the beginning, it's like how I ended up a Bible teacher. That's just God's sense of humor, I think. But, but I was just amazed at their faith and drawn to it, but also being kind of a logical brain type person. I'm very analytical type person, I should say. You know, I needed to know like, is this real? Because I don't wanna believe a lie. And so God in his grace brought me through different steps and showed me different things. And and so God in his grace 
got me past that barrier that I had set up about who I thought he, you know, about how I thought the universe kind of worked. And in his mercy opened my eyes to his love, which of course is where he's, what he's after our hearts. Our brains can get in the way, but it's the heart that he's after. But he also doesn't ask us to throw reason out the window. For me, he actually used reason, used logic to help me work through my own confusion and recognize that believing that God created the, they created this incredibly ordered and infinite and majestic universe that is beyond any human you know, concept of how it's structured and ordered and so forth and beautiful is the most logical thing in the world to believe that there is a creator behind it. So God opened my eyes. And so here we are at this Bible study. I come to faith and I never could have imagined how that would alter the trajectory of my entire life. Barely six months later, I was baptized, beginning to grow in my faith. But at the same time, uh, my former husband, who had been, it was looking like he was on kind of his own similar type journey, but you know, that, that seed never took root. And suddenly those dysfunctions that I talked about earlier weren't working because God was changing me. And so you can almost think of like two cogs of wheels, you know, how they, they fit together and they work, you know, and keeps the, keeps the watch going, you know, like kind of cogs. Well, God was changing me. The dysfunctions didn't work any longer. So he ended up filing for divorce. And I was a baby believer. That was really hard. So often people have the really incorrect idea that as soon as they give their lives to Jesus or become a Christian, then it's happily ever after. And that's never promised in the Bible. It's not reality. We live in a broken world. And so here you are at this point in your life, and maybe you can kind of paint the picture of of what this was because you're brand new in this faith after a very traumatic and tragic life story, really up until this point, newly divorced. And maybe you can just tell us, okay, where what was your life like at, at this moment and your new life circumstances? Yeah. Sometimes I think about it, it's like, wow, getting saved and divorced in the same year. So that's a, that's quite quite a change. I mean, it, it it was hard. You know, we didn't we didn't have children, and so I was alone. Actually, touching on that, we we had years earlier had tried to have children. Actually, we tried for a little while, and it turned out that I learned I couldn't have children because my fallopian tubes were damaged. But yet, I mean, I obviously I got pregnant as a teenager, and so I. It was another one of those things that was sort of like a shame. Like I felt like, was it the abortion that caused the damage? Because I asked the doctor and he, you know, he said it was a possibility. There was no way to know for sure. But anyway, it was just, just kind of another one of those layers of pain and heartache and disappointment and, and so forth. But here we are and he, he leaves, he files for divorce um, by myself. I'm 31 years old. Who's still almost like for the first time trying to figure out like who I am as a new believer and what does this all mean? Not having any background in it's not like you know some people might be raised in the church but yet become a believer later but they have that knowledge at least of what the Bible teaches and so forth. I had nothing, but God is faithful and God you know He needs very little 
to do so much, you know, from us. He, 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 he you know, the, you know, faith is small as a mustard seed, you know, scripture teaches, and we can move mountains. God taught me a couple of things. His nearness, first of all, because when we're saved, we don't, he does change us. We are made new. And then from that very moment, we are uh, secure in heaven is our eternal home. But there are still aspects of our life, the habits that we've developed, our, 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 the way of thinking and viewing the world, all of those things, God changes in, in times and in steps uh, because he's gentle. It would be pretty traumatic if I was changed all at once. You know, we had to work through just the way I looked at the world. After my husband left, I began having nightmares because there was some abuse in our marriage. Um, he was an alcoholic. And so there were there was abuse, there was a lot of mental and emotional abuse, a little bit of physical abuse in the beginning of the marriage. But after he left being alone, you know, I think the enemy just really like, oh, wow, I've got a, I've got, you know, a blank. I've got room to work now, you know, and he just really messed with me. And so I would have these nightmares. And they were very debilitating to the point they were actually interfering with my work. You know, I had a regular job during the day and I would like remember the nightmares. They would almost come into my thoughts during the day. It was, it was becoming quite a problem. And I told a friend at church and she said to me, well, have you asked God to take the nightmares away? And I just looked at her like, God can do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just, it just, it just didn't occur to me. You know, I was still learning. Like, what, what, what does God's sovereignty really mean? It actually means your thoughts will be transformed by Him if we give them to Him. You know, what does the Bible say? Take every thought captive. You know, and so it was like, wow, I can do that. You know, and so I did. I prayed, and God, and sure enough, the night, the nightmares went away. God stepped in, and so I was learning a lot about who God is because, again. I didn't have that kind of background. I didn't have this picture of what God was like. And so that's, you know, that's kind of one of the key things that um, came out of that season was learning who God was. He hears our prayers. Uh, he cares about the details. And so I wasn't alone, uh, but it was still hard. It, you know, divorce is hard no matter, no matter believer, non-believer or whatever. I mean, divorce is hard, but God was with me and uh, he began slowly to heal a lot of those hurts that I talked about earlier from my past, and he just kind of did it just one layer at a time. God is a gentle, gentle, tender God. And one of the biggest wounds was one of the first ones I shared in this story. And I didn't realize how deeply it had affected me because by this point in my life, this the season I'm talking about right now is actually a 10-year season after the, the divorce uh, and my salvation. For 10 years, God was working through a lot of these hurts. And, and, and so by the time I was 40 was another key turning point where God kind of decided it's time to work on this wound of abortion that was hidden in the depths of my heart so deep that I had almost not forgotten about it, but, but by and large, didn't, you know, didn't, didn't enter my thoughts, didn't enter my, you know, it's just so long ago, but God knew that it was a dark spot in my heart that needed to be healed. He did that uh, in actually a very miraculous way. And that's a whole nother long story. I share it often. I'm often invited to speak for pregnancy centers. So I usually share this story, but God healed my heart. And one of the things during that uh, healing time of this, this abortion that God wanted to kind of draw out, was him requiring me to acknowledge that this was a child 
and therefore a person and therefore deserving of a name. And when I realized that I was going to be, you know, that God wanted me to give this child a name, I mean, that was a journey all by itself. I remember going on the internet thinking, like, first of all, he had kind of put it on my heart that this child was a girl. So I, I felt that from the Lord, like he gave me that knowledge. And so I went on the, uh, by the way, I didn't just jump on the internet. Oh, I'm going to go find a name. You know, I mean, I was sobbing with the Lord. I was crying out to God. I was praying. I was like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I mean, this was a very difficult healing step to walk through with him. And, you know, it took a couple of months, but what I wanted to share with you was how beautiful God used this aspect of the story of giving this child a name. When I reached the point where I was able to, I want the name to have meaning. And so I went on the internet and, uh, you know, I'm a research nerd to begin with. I research everything. And so I went on the site and I didn't know where to begin, except that I, I knew it was a girl. So I, you know, picked the girl, you know, tab. And then I decided like they just went through the alphabet and I thought, well, I don't know where else to begin. So I'll just start at the alphabet. Let's go ahead and look at the letter A. And so I'm going through the names and I'm not even looking at the name. I'm reading the meaning. And suddenly this name on the screen just, just hits me. The meaning of this name is nameless. And it just, it just stopped me in my tracks. The, the name was Anamika and it means nameless. And I just, I cried out to God right there really from the depths of my soul, like, oh God, now I, I, it was somehow God used that moment to really drive home, you know, the, 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 the sorrow and, and, and the loss, but also God's grace and forgiveness. Because what God said to me in that moment was, now it's time to give her a new name. And so I ended up naming her Amanda. As you can see, I didn't get far down on the list, uh, still in the letter A's. But Amanda means worthy of love. You know, sorrow and tenderness and love are all mixed together with God. He doesn't abandon us in our sorrow. He doesn't leave us there. Um, and I ended up actually naming that, that the first Bible study I wrote when I was in seminary, worthy of love, finding hope and healing after abortion. So it's named after her. Ladies. I know some of you are crying right now. Some of you might be sobbing. Maybe this is your story. Maybe it's not. Maybe you've been judgmental of people in the past who have had this story and you're seeing it just with them with God's eyes, with mercy and forgiveness and and a heart for these women. Everybody's got a different story for, for women who have gone through an abortion. I know all of your stories are a little different and what happened, how you got there, how the choice was made, what your healing journey's like, how you feel now, how many years it's been. Mm. I want to encourage you <laughs> that you could name your children too. You can call out to God to ask, was that a boy? Was that a girl? Do you have a name, Lord? You could have a memorial service. For those of you who are, are new and maybe just listening to this for the first time, we at uh, Calvary Mac are connected with a national organization called Sarah's Laughter, and it's a faith-based organization for women going through 
miscarriage loss and fertility adoption. But one of the things they do is offer butterfly release memorial services. And when we held our first one at Calvary Mac, we really wanted to encourage women that if they had had an abortion in the past, that 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 counted, those children counted too, and that they could come honor their lives and have a service for them. And I know some people have even been able to talk with God about what that child might look like in heaven. Some people have shared stories of of dreams, of getting to see their faces. And I just want to drive home that point that if you were listening and this is your story, you are not alone. And I'm so grateful, Shadia, that you're sharing this because this is this is a raw and tender chapter. And for so many women, it just, it sits in a dark secret box shoved in the corner of their soul. Yes. 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 That's, that's, you, you described how I would have described it exactly. Almost hidden to ourselves, you know, if we, if it's been hidden so long, long enough, but God knows but he he is so tender and forgiving and merciful and and all he asks us to, to do is is to surrender those hurts to him surrender our sorrow acknowledge our part and then receive his gift of forgiveness because that's who god is and uh yeah he's 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 so tender i i was i had to that, that was one of the biggest I don't like the word lesson, but you know, the experiences, I guess, with God's healing, one of many, but it's one I'll never forget because, because I think it was because I was still learning who God is. And actually, you know, we're always learning who God is. We're always going to keep learning who God is. You know, we're never going to come to the end of him, but yeah, he's, he is so faithful. And I just thank you for the opportunity to share. So after that, what, what happened was, is that was when God asked me to write my story. Now, I wasn't writing, I wasn't teaching, I was I was in a regular job. I worked at an airport, you know, so it was like just just a regular old person, you know, going to church. But after this healing journey with God, um with my daughter, he told me one day to write down my story. And I remember when I started to try to write the story, as I've shared earlier, you know, the way my brain works, I always gravitate. My natural bent is towards the, you know, like what let's like the analytical, the logical, the, you know, like, like let's teach something or whatever. That's, that's just the, how my, how my mind works. And so when God asked me to write my story, I, the first thing I tried to do is to make a legal case out of it. I actually have a, a master's in criminal justice. So I was like, let's just talk about the, you know, the, the legal aspect of, you know, why abortion is wrong and, and, and all that. And so I'm writing and I'm writing and writing and I sort of get this kind of spiritual tap on the shoulder and God's like, um, I didn't ask you to do that. And I'm like, what do you mean, Lord? And there was silence. I like, he didn't, he didn't, that was it. That's all I heard. And I'm like, okay, so that's not the, that wasn't the right track. I mean, it wasn't condemnation. It was just more of a correction, right? You're on, you're on, you're going to a little bit to the left. I want you to go somewhere else. So then I start writing again. And this time I tackle it from the medical aspect. <laughs> like I'm going to talk about the developmental aspects of the child and what, what's going on in the womb and turn it into sort of a narrative. Like, I mean, you know, I, that was just my, I think that's where I was comfortable you know? And so I start writing, I wrote chapters. I've still, I probably have them on my computer somewhere from 20 years ago, but I, they're still there somewhere. And I get a spiritual tap on the shoulder. I mean, like a month in, he doesn't just do it right away. <laughs> you know, he kind of lets you go a little bit. And I get another spiritual tap on the shoulder in the exact same words, very tender, 
I didn't ask you to do that. And so now I'm a little exasperated and I'm like, oh, God, what do you want? And he said, I want your heart. I want you to write your story. It actually gave me goosebumps just remembering it. Um, and so that's when I finally understood what he wanted. And I wrote my story and what God did and the beauty of his forgiveness and the journey that he took me on. Uh, and then later on, you know, when I went to seminary, developed it into a Bible study and so forth. Uh, but, you know, but it, I, can, I never grew up aspiring to become an author. I mean, I was a bookworm, but never imagined that I would be writing. And so God just began, you know, God was doing something. I didn't yet see it yet. And at the, then at the same time, I was being invited to share my story at like, you know, pregnancy center fundraisers and churches and, you know, sanctity of life events, things like that. And it seemed like God was, you know, kind of slowly birthing a ministry and people around me saw it. And, but I still didn't, you know, it took me a little time. I'm like, no, it's just, you know, you know, whatever. And it took a little time for me to understand where, where God was taking this. And I think it really drove home when I went to go see my pastor, because, you know, I'm still working in the secular world, you know, like I still had to pay the rent, that kind of thing. And I was at a career crossroads. And so I go to visit my pastor and I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know, like, do I put my focus here? Do I put my focus there? I was also doing some side work on the side, like consulting work. And I was basically coming to him saying like, okay, I've got all this stuff on my plate. I got this potential big job over here. I got this consulting business over here. I got the writing and speaking thing here. I was like, I can't do all of this. And so I'm looking for him to basically take something off the plate. So he listens to the whole story and he already knew me well. And he was actually, he was a particular pastor that was extremely gifted at identifying like where God is calling people to serve and how he's calling them to serve. So this is, this is kind of his gift. And so I go to him with all of this. I'm waiting for him to tell me, you know, what to take off the plate. And so he prays for a little while silently. And when he looks up, he looks at me and he said, have you considered going to seminary? I'm like, my first reaction is, hey, I came here to get something off the plate. I don't know if you heard me right, you know, but, but the other part of me, the heart was like, and my spirit was stirred. I was like, oh, I could do that. You know, it's like, just, just, it was sort of like, until somebody said it out loud, it wasn't, I didn't realize it was exactly what I wanted, but I didn't know I wanted it till somebody said it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And he, you know, he just went on to say, he says, you're doing this writing, you're speaking, God's opening these doors. And I think seminary would give you confidence in your teaching and in your writing that you're, you know, you're teaching correctly in that for, and, and so forth. And so I applied and I got accepted and I went in the following year. And so here I am in seminary, a single woman trying to pay the bills and, you know, just really, really challenging. But God was with me each step of the way. And at one point, I actually just took some time away to spend with him and make a career decision like, okay, is it time to actually quit my job? Because I felt I was being pulled by my, I just was in my heart, in my spirit, I wanted to go and enter seminary full time, finish the degree program that I was in. That would mean, you know, leaving my job. And so financially, like this made no sense whatsoever, but the pull would not go away. Uh, and so I went and spent some time with the Lord and he basically just said, trust me, I will take care of you. I am the one calling you out. I am the one leading your steps. Um, this is what I'm calling you to do. And so after a lot of prayer, 
I did quit my job, finished the degree in going to school full time, and God kept his promise in ways that I could have never have imagined. And so the year I graduated is when I published my first study I told, I mentioned earlier, Worthy of Love, A Journey of Hope and Healing After Abortion. So that was my story. But since then, I have just been drawn, I am drawn to the stories in the Bible that are messy. And, you know, looking back on my own life, well, you know, there's no surprise there. I mean, you know, my life was not like, you know, nice little package with a red little bow on top. It was a mess. And so I am drawn to those stories in the Bible that are messy. I mentioned earlier, I wrote a Bible study on Hagar, uh, you know, used by Abraham and Sarah to produce a child. Her story, you know, sometimes we look at it and we think there's like a dark cloud, but it's not because God is in it. There's actually a purpose for her and there's redemption in her story. Um, another study was Legion. So this was, this study always makes people kind of like ask me questions because it's based on the man possessed with the Legion of Demons in the, in the New Testament. And so often we're like, I don't want to go there. You know, <laughs> so I don't, you know I'm not, I don't know how I want to do the demons and the whole thing. That just sounds creepy. But to be honest, it's actually one of my favorites because um, it is such a beautiful picture of God's rescuing love. Because, I mean, if he can rescue this guy, you know, there's just no one outside of God's reach. It's actually a beautiful story of his rescue and also of God's sovereignty. So I wrote these studies, but I'm attracted to these messy stories in the Bible. Tamar is the one that just came out. Uh, Daughter-in-law of Judah disguises herself as a prostitute and becomes the first woman listed in the lineage of Christ. I mean, only God could orchestrate these kinds of things. And I look at their stories and I look at my life and I'm like, God, you are just amazing. He can take any of our stories. Your story is precious to him because it's because it's you. He loves you. He loves me. He loves each one of us. And, and these characters in the Bible, I mean, they were real people experiencing real trauma, but there's a real God overseeing all of it. And so I just love talking about these messy stories. But, but as we talked about in the beginning, I would have never have imagined, you know, years ago that that I'd be teaching the Bible. I mean, to be honest, I, I wouldn't even imagine him becoming a Christian at all. You know, I mean, abortion, date rape, abuse, marriage, uh, divorce. I mean, it's just, just such a mess. But God uses each one of those heartaches to invite me to know him more. And, and that's what I pray for all of my, my readers who go through these stories is to, because I share a lot of those aspects of my story in each of these. I, mm -hmm. I, get, I think it's almost like God uses the writing for my therapy, you know, my therapeutic, you know, working out, you know, the, those stories in my writing. And, and then only by his grace, he uses it to bless somebody else. But our stories are important. There is redemption when we give it to him. When we do, we will learn things about God that will just cause us to fall in love with him all over again. And so it's just been a real blessing because these stories that I share my own and then these others they connect us. I mean, that's what this whole program is about. Stories connect us. They help us to know each other and be able to relate to one another. And God teaches us through our own stories about who he is. Oh, he's just so beautiful. Anyway, it's just, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just such, a, such a gift to be part of God's kingdom um, and to be able to be used by him. So I just, I just hope my story draws hearts closer to God because he's worth it. <laughs> Yes, and amen. I know there are ladies who would love to learn from you. 
They would love to know how they can read your your books, your Bible studies, hear more from you. There's really so much more to what you do and how you teach. And we've been blessed to hear Shadia, the storyteller. And I know some would like to also know Shadia, the teacher. So before we wrap up and before we have you pray for our listeners, would you tell the ladies how they can hear more from you, read more from you. And of course, as always, ladies, I will put all of this in the episode notes. So don't feel like you have to try and write everything down or, you know, pull over if you're driving or anything, but let's have Shadia share first and then we'll pray for everybody. Oh, well, I appreciate that. You know, I always joke because my name is hard to spell. It's it's hard to say. Um, it's hard to pronounce. Uh, it's all hard. <laughs> but uh, and so even though my website is shadiaharishi.com, I you don't have to remember how to spell it because you can also simply pick your favorite Bible study and you can just find it there. You can go to tamarbiblestudy.com. You'll land on that page on my website for the Tamar Bible Study. You can go to legionbiblestudy.com. HagarBibleStudy.com. So if you just remember any of those, you'll get to this site. And I'm actually going to be doing an online study uh, using the Tamar Bible Study starting on September 12th. So if you're uh, listening and you're, it's still time, I would you could come check it out. Go to TamarBibleStudy.com and uh, you can find out more about the online study. We'll be doing like Zoom calls each week and there's emails, there's teaching videos. You kind of get the whole bundle. So and, and of course, a signed copy of the Bible study as well. That's awesome. Thank you. And we will have all of that in the episode notes for you ladies. But I have to thank you so much, not just for sharing your story, but for sharing such a deep and raw story. There are a lot of women that would be very hesitant to share some of the chapters that you've shared. But I do believe that those chapters have meaning, and they have purpose, and that God is using them. They are not wasted chapters. Just like you said, he is drawn to the messy stories too. That's exactly who he came for. And ladies, you might have a deeply messy story. Maybe your story is relatively tidy, but either way, we have this precious God that wrote those stories and he loves you and he loves each chapter and has a purpose for it. And it's just an honor and a blessing to get to share them. So I want to thank you so much for that. And as we close, ask you to pray for the listeners. Oh, be my honor. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just, we come before you and just thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray over all who are listening to this broadcast, whether it's now or in the future, Lord, I ask your sweet blessing over them, your tender mercies over them. I pray that you would um, just remind them, Lord, of who you are through your word, um, which just speaks life and breathes life into us, Lord. God, I thank you for the messy stories in the Bible. I thank you, Lord, that you don't hold back. I thank you, Lord, that you remind us of that you are drawn even to the brokenhearted. You are drawn to the brokenhearted, Lord. Your, your, your tender heart is drawn. And we thank you, God, for who you are. And so I just pray for each person listening that they would, however it is that you, Lord, have touched their heart in whatever area, whatever aspect, I pray that they would take that further with you, uh, talk to you about it. 
open your word and just spend some time with you, Lord, and allow you to speak uh, through your word and minister to their hearts through your spirit, Lord, as only you can, because you are our healer, you are our hope, you are our redeemer, you are our savior and Lord, God, and you hurt. And that's just the beginning of who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Thank you for Jessica. Bless her, bless this program and the ministry and the church and all that they're doing uh, for your kingdom. We give you all glory, honor, and praise because you alone are worthy. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Shadia. Oh, thank you for having me. This <laughs> is so sweet. And ladies, thank you so much for tuning in, for listening to this story. If you've never listened before, we we hope you found a, a new podcast that you'll want to stick with. This is all about real women with real stories and real hope. And we hope you were blessed and encouraged and that you'll come back next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast. A ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.